If you don't have a sermon outline, please lift your hand, and these fine gentlemen that are racing to the front will give one to you, and uh, you will need it this morning as we continue our study. Our study is on the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and notice this cross image that is in front of us. Um, The healthy church is me and us. In this circumstance, we see a crowd forming around Christ. The church is made up of individuals that are seeking to honor God. Let's notice here on your outline some of the review from the last three weeks. I want you to notice that three weeks ago we looked at the healthy church moving toward maturity from Ephesians chapter 4. And we could say a lot of things about that message, but the church is called to become more mature. You are called to become more mature. And notice this, churches and church members mature as they grow up and do what? Serve the Lord. That was very weak. What do they need to do? They need to grow up and serve the Lord. Did your parents ever look at you and say, grow up? We come to these moments when we need to be told, move from one phase to the next. And we see that in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul, we see Peter come along and say, grow up. And there's a lot of church members, there's a lot of churches that need to be told, grow up, get with it, get it in gear. Have you just been struggling along in your deal? We'll we'll move on. Maybe at this moment, the Lord is just kind of saying to you, it's time to move on past a hurt or past a problem, past uh, a cyclical sin that you finally need to give to the Lord and grow up and move on. This is what God calls us to, the upward path, the upward calling in Christ Jesus. And if this sermon series helps you do that, then it will be successful. Notice that a healthy church is moving toward maturity. We said number two, two weeks ago, that a healthy church is encouraging one another. And Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25 reveals, notice here this statement on your outline, that Christians help each other stay with Christ. That's what Hebrews is all about. Don't leave Christ. Stay with Christ. Through the encouragement that comes from worshiping God and fellowshipping what? Together. Circle that word together. You are called to worship God individually. That is true. But the most sure and the most significant way in which you worship uh, God is when you are with the people of God. We see that in the Old Testament and we see that in the New Testament. In fact, it's very possible that you won't continue to worship God individually if you do not continue to worship God corporately. Um, There's many who say that they will, but it's very long As a log that's been removed from the fire eventually goes out and doesn't burn brightly, that's what happens with many people who slip away from corporate worship. Hebrews says, don't neglect meeting together. Keep coming together and worshiping God together, encouraging one another. That's what we do. Notice that last statement there. Your presence and participation is important to who? Everyone. That means it's important to you. 
That means it's important to the others that are here, and that means it's important to God. And you know what? It's important to Satan too. That's why he wants to keep you from doing it. It's important to him in the idea that if he could get you to stop doing it, he would. And that's why there's so many things that fight against you um, finally latching on and becoming a churchman or a churchwoman. Um, there's many things that want to fight against that. Um, I just want to encourage you that we see that a healthy church is one that comes together and encourages one another. Well, the, last week we looked at another very important mark of a healthy church. A healthy church is separate from the world. A healthy church is different than the world. Notice 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 14 through 18. It says, it makes clear that God's people are not, missing a word there, to, are not to be like or linked to the world. They're not to be like or linked to the world. We're not supposed to look like the world. We talked about the fact that there's many churches that over the last 30 years were trying to look like the world, trying to be like the world, even right now, not far from here. There's churches that are doing sermon series based upon Hollywood movies, more than based upon God's Word. It's a very strange thing. It's very seeking to appeal. I've been listening to a new podcast. If I figure out that it's really solid and really reliable, I'll share it with you. I haven't got that far in it yet, but this one pastor was saying, you know, I thought 20 years ago if I played secular music, secular, you know, good old rock and roll before the worship service, and if I wore the right shoes, and if I kind of chose the right stories and I told a lot of personal stories, then, then the church would kind of come in and they, they would really like that. And he said, while I gained a crowd, I did not build a church. And so if that podcast turns out to be worth sharing, I'll share it with you. But it's, it's when the church becomes like the world that the church loses its power. When we stay close to God, that's when all is right in what he's designed. So notice this and fill this in. Your life, your home, your church are called to godliness, not worldliness. We are called to be like God, not the world. Demas left the work of the gospel in the New Testament because he loved the world. Do you love the world or do you love the kingdom that is to come? That's what we looked at last week. God saves his people to make them holy. The word holy means set apart, by the way. Your holiness, fill it in, is a very big deal to God. It's not a minor issue. It's a very big deal to him. Your personal holiness in your car, in your, what do you call those things? I, 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 Air, AirPods, thank you. Got rid of the I. In your AirPods, in your watch list, in your correspondence, in your tapping out messages, in the thoughts of your mind, this is a very big deal to God, and you will be blessed as you become more like him and actually less like the world. We see very clearly in Scripture that, fill it in, you cannot be aligned with the world and with God at the same time, because Jesus said friendship with the world means an enemy 
that you become an enemy of God. That's because the world is fallen and sinful, and God is holy and righteous, and he calls us to be like him. Well, this morning, we want to look at this this word, hospitality, and um, I, I find it interesting. The title of the message is Healthy Church, Generous Hospitality. Well, when I started preparing the PowerPoint for this sermon a little bit, I've just put in the word hospitality, uh, good old word hospitality, and I want you to see a little bit of what I found when it came to images. Notice the images that pop up on hospitality. All of these images have to do with the profession of hospitality. It has to do with the hotel concierge desk. It has to do with the check-in desk. It has to do with people there ready for these things. Just hold it right there, guys. The images that we see have to do with, when we think of hospitality, has to do with hotel and restaurant. In fact, I went to Florida State, and at the time, they had a very good hotel and hospitality department. And I had many friends that were in it. It was a rigorous department. Um, We have chefs like Michael and George and others in this congregation. We have people that work in the hotel and hospitality industry. But you know, when we think about hospitality, we should be thinking in a very different way as church members. What should come to our mind is our homes, is our backyards, is our time with others in the life of the church or in our community. Hospitality has been fading away from our homes. It's now at a hotel or it's now at a restaurant. Well, this morning I want us to look at what the Bible has to say a little bit about hospitality. Let me just give you a heads up. This is not an expository sermon. Usually we're studying through a book of the Bible. This is a short series on the health of the church. We're looking at some topical issues. I want you to see from the scripture some key issues. And Luke chapter 14, verses 12 through 14 is a shocking passage. And it shows us, we're going to see here, it shows us the heart of God. It shows us the mentality of God when it comes to this. We're going to turn there in a minute, but just notice first the box in the top of the page, Luke chapter 14, verses 12 through 14. I want us to see this, and I, and I hope you're shocked a little bit. Look at verse 12. Jesus said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, (laughs) lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. Look at verse 13. But when you give a feast, invite who? The poor. Invite the crippled. Invite the lame. Invite the blind. Verse 14, and you will be blessed because why? They cannot repay you. Underline the last part, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. This challenges very often our views of hospitality, and it begins to show us the heart of God 
on hospitality. I want us to look and see what the Bible has to say about hospitality. This is not really an injunction against you getting together with family and friends. But, it, but what it is, is an exposure of the motivations in which we come together and how God wants to use your hospitality in his kingdom work. Notice the hospitality of the Bible. There's a lot of hospitality in the Old Testament, more than I will even list here. There's not a particular word in Hebrew for hospitality that is used in the Bible consistently. In Genesis chapter 18, we see a prominent picture of hospitality with Abraham and Sarah hosting really that which, who is the Lord coming into their midst and immediately providing for them a meal. And it's there at that meal that they would find that in a year's time, when he comes back through, that Sarah will have a child. She's saying, I'm old, there's no way. Everything is stopped, as so to speak. And she even laughed to herself. And when that visitor that was with them said, you even laughed at that, she lied. And she said, no, I didn't. Of course, the Lord knew. But we see this hospitality of God coming to them and even in the beautiful hospitality of promising descendants. In Genesis chapter 19, the very next chapter, we see angels come to rescue Lot from Sodom and Gomorrah. That is a very, very vivid and graphic picture of the hospitality that Lot would show to the angels and the hospitality that the angels would show in rescuing Lot from sure destruction. In 1 Kings chapter 17 is another interesting passage of the Old Testament of a widow hosting Elisha and how God provides for her hospitality. And how God works through this. Part of what we see throughout the Old Testament is a call to be hospitable to those who are sojourners or aliens. This has been a big political debate in our culture. We talk about the border with Mexico that basically is the gateway to the nation, not just from Mexico, but from the rest of the world. And no doubt, there's different realities of that debate. Do you have a land without borders? I mean, we, we've turned it into either a pro-immigration or an anti-immigration issue. And that, that's part of what we see here in the Old Testament. Is there an openness to sojourners? Oh, there's many things that we could talk about that issue but when we see the message of the Bible, it's saying, be careful how you deal with those who are travelers. In the New Testament, we see the idea of a, of a more complete picture of God's heart of salvation. Philo Essena, or Sinia, is two words together. It's the word love and interestingly enough, stranger. 
Do you have a love that goes beyond those who you know? Do you have a love that goes beyond those whom you have an affinity to or affection for? Do you have a love for those you do not know? You see, God becomes a stranger in the world. The Holy One comes and joins the sinners. He didn't belong here because of his holiness. Oh, he was in the world, the world that he had made, but he was rejected by this world. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. He was a stranger. And when we see the life of the Lord Jesus being lived out in his ministry, notice this, that he's both the stranger and he becomes the host. We see at different points in his ministry that indeed he is the outcast, but we also see that he's playing the host in who he relates to, in who he cares for. You see, we see in the life of the Lord Jesus, there is the host of those who have nothing to offer. Jesus says, host those who cannot host you back. We see he's the host for even those who reject. Host those who everyone rejects is what Jesus calls us to. This starts messing with our sensibilities of, oh, what is practical. This starts messing with our sensibilities of whether or not this is comfortable or enjoyable. But we see that it was not comfortable for Christ to go to the cross. It was not comfortable for Christ to leave the halls of heaven and to join us in our mess. But this is the love of God. And so we begin to see in the hospitality of God, in the mentality of the hospitality of God, a very different kind of love, a love that is selfless. You see, this is, notice the next one here, a key theme of church life. This is a key theme of church life, and it's even in the New Testament, we see that it's a requirement. Hospitality is a requirement for church leaders, for pastors. If a man is not hospitable, he cannot be a pastor. If he doesn't know how to welcome someone in, he cannot do it. If he doesn't know how to see their needs and desire to care for their needs, he cannot be a pastor. Someone who's insensitive to those things, someone who rejects those things, oh, he may be able to preach. And he may seem to live a holy life in many different ways. But if he cannot relate to others where they have need, he cannot be a pastor. Notice 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 8 through 9. I love this. Verse 8 is talking about love. Look what it says. Above all, read it out loud. What does it say? Above all what? Love, love each other deeply. Isn't that beautiful? Above all, love each other deeply. This is, this is on the heart of God. Some people who don't want to love anyone at all just want to 
just kind of come be religious. That's not at all what we see of the heart of God. Look at this, verse 8. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Verse 9, offer, the very next verse, verse 9, offer hospitality to one another (laughs) without grumbling. You see, God loves a cheerful giver, and that's part of what we see in hospitality. I want us to notice a few things from these passages. We're going to move very quickly this morning. Look what it says. Hospitality is a massive theme in Scripture that reveals, fill it in, very important, the saving heart of God. In Hospitality is not just a side issue. There's many who think of hospitality as, oh yeah, that's something I kind of ought to do. No, listen, hospitality is how you got saved if you're a Christian. Had God not been hospitable, you and I would have no hope. In fact, notice that word in the upper left-hand column or the upper left-hand corner of your, of your outline. What is the first part of the word of hospitality? What is it? Hospital. What is it? Who goes to a hospital? Those who have needs. Those who are hurting. Those who are sick. Those who have trouble. You don't go to a hospital if everything's just fine. In fact, how many of you would love to go to a hospital if everything was just fine? Yeah, just come on in. Do surgery on me. It'd be fun. This is a form of entertainment, a form of enjoyment. Now, if you're that way, there's something wrong with you. I, I mean, I love going to the hospital to go and care for y'all. I hate going to the hospital for myself. I just don't enjoy all the poking and the prodding, all the weird things they make you, you know. Have you ever had a nerve conduction test? It's terrible. They put all these needles all over you, and then they shock you. Think, I'm not in Iraq or at Guantanamo. I mean, this is horrible. This is like torture. What in the world? But it's to help you. You know, sometimes when we look at the word hospitality, we need to understand that this is how God saved us. You have your Bible. Turn with me this morning to Luke 14. You need to open your Bible and turn there. We're going to look at several verses, and I want you to see this with me. This is the ministry of the Lord Jesus. It's very interesting. This is this is in the real the real uh, thrust of his earthly ministry. He's been going at it for a while. He's been teaching and working and moving. This is right at the second announcement that he's going to Jerusalem. Uh, The book of Luke is divided up into his first announcement, second announcement, and third announcement that he's going to Jerusalem. This is unveiling his plan and why he's doing everything he's doing. He's going to go to Jerusalem to die. He's going to go to Jerusalem to purchase us from our sin. And here in the midst of this, we see... Uh, a very important part of his ministry, and um, I want us to notice this, and it's the parable, it's where he gives 
the parable of the great banquet. And I believe that this will help us to see better the whole picture. Back up in Luke chapter 14 and verse 1, notice what it says. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. Now, just so you know, the rulers of the Pharisees were not his friends. So he's going to dine in enemy territory. He's going to dine in troubled waters. Notice here in verse 2, and behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. Dropsy is a, an endema. It's a building up of fluid. You've, you've maybe seen that sometimes on someone's face or a portion of their body, that the flesh begins to be overwhelmed with fluid, so it swells and it sags. And there were many diseases like that, untreated, obviously. They didn't have big hospitals and medication and all of that that could deal with those things. And so there were many ailments around them all the time. Look at verse 2. And, ver and behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. <laughs> verse 3. And Jesus responded, responded to the law, lawyers and the Pharisees. Now these were the law keepers. These were the people who would look at the Mosaic law and tell you what you can do and what you can't do. And what day is this? Verse 14, chapter 14, verse 1. What day is this? The Sabbath. So he's standing there with the people who were constantly evaluating what all he was doing and very often condemning him. Verse 3, Jesus opens a can of worms. And he, Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Good choice. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. <laughs> and he said to them, which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well or on a Sabbath day, would not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Because you see, in their law that they had expanded upon, and all of their rules and regulations, they had determined what you were allowed to do and what you weren't allowed to do, and they had made these kinds of things illegal. Look at verse 7. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, so they had gone into the house, and they noticed he, Jesus was watching the crowd, they're circling around, landing at the dinner table, and notice what Jesus says. He's watching that, and he speaks up in verse 8. When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor. Let someone more distinguished than you be invited by him, that's the host, and he who invited you both will come to you and say, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place, verse 10. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. 
Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at a table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, whether you like that custom or not, that there would be status involved with a banquet feast, that's the way it was. That's not so much the point as it is right here in verse 11. It's your attitude. Jesus is always going after the attitude of our heart. Look at verse 11. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now look at verse 12, the parable of the great banquet. And he said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. It's in this passage that we begin to see the real deep motivations behind hospitality. We begin to see the heart of God and the mentality that we should take on when it comes to how we relate to others. We begin to start to see the picture of that which reveals why we do what we do, and that's very often what God is so often interested in. Notice this. Fill this in on your outline. Those you would think would be most likely to come, will not. I want you to see this in verse 15 as we go on. Look what it says in verse 15. When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat of the bread of the kingdom of God. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. Verse 17, and at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is ready. Verse 18, but they all alike began to make what? Excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Verse 19, another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I must go examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. I thought he was going to say, I need to go see what she looks like. Um, That would be in keeping with the other two. Verse 21, so the servant came and reported these things to the master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, sir, what have you commanded? What you have commanded has been done and still there is room. Verse 23, and the master said to the servant, go out into the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. 
Now, there is so much about the gospel here and so much about God's salvation here, but we see it in the context of hospitality. How many times have you invited people before to something, to an event, you're hoping they'll come and you're not sure if they'll come, and in fact, you're disappointed sometimes when it comes down to it, they didn't come. It's a strange thing. People invited to something, you know, and we think, well, will, will they come to the birthday party? Will they come to the reception? Will they come to the wedding? Will they... Will they come to the party? Let me tell you that part of what we see in this passage is that the spirit and the bride say come to the world. And we see that there's people in the world that say no. So our Heavenly Father knows what this feels like. Our Heavenly Father is giving a picture to us into the grand invitation to come to his banquet and there's others who have other things to do. You see, those who you would think would be most likely to come very often will not. Jesus came to his own and his own did not receive him. You would think that he would be received by those who were, quote unquote, the people of God, but they did not receive him. Those, the second one is, those least likely to be invited come with joy. Those who say, I'm far from this man's friendship. I'm far from the kind of people that he relates to. But I'm invited to come, so I come with joy. And then we see also at the end of this is that those who rejected or neglected miss out entirely. And here we would see that part of the picture here is salvation. Because they have something in this earthly life that they think is better. So this passage begins to reveal, see the statement above this that we first noticed, hospitality is a massive theme in Scripture that reveals the saving heart of God, and it also reveals the sinful heart of man. You can put that out to the side. That we can be so blinded in our sin that we reject all that God is offering to us. But it's the hospitality of God that brings to us salvation. There are some other passages that are key to our thinking of hospitality here. Acts chapter 2, verse 46. Notice what it says here. And this is possibly one of the most quoted passages of Scripture in the New Testament on hospitality. Look what it says in verse 46. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes... They receive their food with glad and what? Generous hearts. These are these beautiful early days of the church growing. Verse 47, they were praising God and having favor with all people. And look what it says, as part of their hospitality, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So there were some great things happening in the midst of their hospitality. This, is, this was a, an element in what God was doing. In Acts 16, verse 15, we see Lydia coming to faith in Jesus. Notice what it says in verse 14. 
though among those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart. Underline that. The Lord opened her heart. That's how we get saved. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. In verse 15, and when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us, Luke writes. And so we see this hospitality early in the life of the church and God working and moving through it. Look at Romans chapter 12 and verse 9 through 13. Here again we see this statement similar to the passage we saw on the front side in 1 Peter. Look what it says. Let love be genuine. You remember the other passage said, love one another deeply. Here we see, let love be genuine. You want to see what a true Christian looks like? Abhor what is evil. That means hate it. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Verse 10. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Circle it. Serve the Lord. This is what we are called to be. Look at verse 12, and this list continues. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. When trouble comes, be patient. Be constant in prayer. Verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show what? Hospitality. Hospitality. Okay, so here are some very powerful imperatives, commands that Christians are to do and to be. To love one another is the beginning. Love one another genuinely. Reject the world, hold on to the truth, And look what it says, serve the Lord diligently, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer, contribute to the needs of the saints, and seek to show hospitality. This is what Christians do. If you don't do these things, it may mean that you're not a Christian. This is what Christians do. Look at Hebrews 13, verses 1 through 2. Let brotherly love continue. Once again, love is mentioned before hospitality. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. The idea is is that God is always working, he's always moving, and sometimes he is testing, sometimes he's manipulating things in a certain way, and sometimes he sends an angelic being disguised as a human, and you have the opportunity to host him. I believe that God still does that sometimes today. Sometimes God is providing a teaching moment for us, his people. And sometimes God may test us or teach us through circumstances that are supernatural. Hospitality is important. 
Notice the statement that is here. But hospitality has also been called the lost art, or Alexander Strout calls it the missing jewel of our present day. This is why when we see, when we Google the word hospitality and click on images, this is why we see hotel staff, perhaps instead of dining room tables. We've been moving away to where hospitality is at a hotel or a restaurant more than it's at our homes. You see, as selfishness grows, hospitality dies. And as hospitality dies, fill it in, so does the intimacy of our friendships. You know, our fellowship with one another here is important, but our fellowship at home, in our homes, is even more important. You see, when we're in each other's homes, we get to know one another a whole lot more. When we're in each other's homes, we see where we live. We see what's on the walls. We see what's on the heart. My brother, who's a wonderful pastor on the other side of town, you ought to check out his church sometime. It's a great church. He has a saying. In my home, in my heart. Our homes reveal much about our hearts. And here we see the New Testament church is spending a lot of time in each other's homes. We live in a world where we don't do that very much anymore. We used to, but we don't do it very much anymore. One of the ways that we see this is in the trends around wedding gifts. China used to be one of the big things that was given, right? Now everybody's offloading their China to somebody else. We, on a regular basis, get a phone call from church members in the life of the church. Hey, uh, we have China. Do you guys want it? It's interesting how the culture has been marching away from hospitality, and it's sad. You see, hospitality even is sometimes twisted And fill this in, it's twisted into boasting instead of blessing. When hospitality is seen as an opportunity to show off as opposed to serve, we've gone the wrong way. Not long ago, you know, I used to work in the yacht industry. I used to work for a yacht manufacturer here in Fort Lauderdale. And as a kid, kind of grew up around big boats. And I occasionally will, will watch what's being built now and, and so forth. And it was, it was really amazing. Recently, I, I clicked on a video of a massive sailing yacht. It would sail, had sails. And um, it was right here in Miami. And I was amazed as they walked around videoing the yacht and the owner, I was amazed at how honest he was being and the candor in which he showed how obsessed he was and what people would think about him 
as he designed and showed off his yacht. He walked around. He said, now this is where they'll realize that, you know, I have enough money to do this. And this is where they'll realize that I have enough money to do that. Nobody else has done that in the world on a yacht. I did it. This is where, you know, and it was all about not, hey, I want my friends to come on board and just kind of enjoy the ocean and enjoy the luxuries of that. I get to share with them my well, I get to share with them. He was all about what people would think of him. You know, there's some people when they have their home, it's all about what people will think about me. By the way, that's a miserable way to live. That is an empty way to live. But when you have a nice home and your home is there for you to be able to enjoy in the sanctity of your family, that's wonderful. But for you to also share that, not for what others would think of you, but how you can bless them, how you can love them and cause them to be ministered to and enjoyed. And the fellowship that is enjoyed around the table is relational. It's not about what the tag is on the couch. It's under the cushion anyway. I mean, what does it matter? The motivations are so important. You see, true hospitality doesn't seek to impress, but to bless. True hospitality doesn't seek to impress, but to bless. True hospitality is a spiritual discipline that brings the peaceful fruit of righteousness, Hebrews 12, 11. It's one of the disciplines. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful, yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Hospitality is a discipline. It is a spiritual discipline. You need to grow in the spiritual discipline that you would become hospitable to others to seek to encourage them and love them. Very quickly, as we close, I want to give you a few points. Christ modeled Christian hospitality. Christ modeled Christian hospitality. He ate with friends. He ate with enemies. He ate with doubters. And he ate with believers. You can eat with all of those folks. Are you having an argument with somebody at work? Invite them for dinner. They'll think you're gone, you've gone mad. Do you have a legal opponent? You're in a lawsuit with somebody? Invite them to dinner. I mean, there's no telling. Your, your lawyer tell you, don't do that. But I, I, I just want you to see that God involves relationship in our lives, and Christ models that. Christ used meals to break down barriers. Prostitutes, tax collectors, outcasts, and sinners. You can use meals to break down barriers. Number two, God commands Christian hospitality. We've just read a bunch of them. 
There are, the New Testament is filled with them. And this Christian hospitality is to be among those you know and love, and this hospitality is for those you do not know or love, and I put there, yet. Because when you begin to practice Christian hospitality with people you do not know and you love, you, interestingly enough, come to love them. This can be with enemies. We see that in the New Testament. With traveling missionaries, we see that in the New Testament. This can be with those in need. We see that throughout the New Testament. Number three, God will use Christian hospitality. He will use it. It's amazing. If you'll do it, he'll use it. And one of the things that he does is he brings people to Jesus. He brings people to Christ through Christian hospitality. Have you heard the testimony of Rosaria Butterfield? This is a fascinating testimony. Rosaria Butterfield is a PhD in English. She was an English professor and a homosexual activist. She was a lesbian. And she was on an Ivy League campus. And she would often write all kinds of articles and all kinds of other things that were pro-homosexuality. Back up just a little bit. As she was living her life, There on the university campus, there was a pastor in town, and he began to he and his wife just began to invite Rosaria Butterfield to dinner, and they would have her for dinner. And it was interestingly enough, they never talked about the hot topic of homosexuality. She said, "Here I am, a pastor in a pastor's home, and my big thing is homosexuality and lesbianism, and he doesn't bring that up." They went on month after month, having fellowship, speaking about Christ, speaking about other things, but not her particular issue. And after a period of time, it was through the hospitality of this pastor and his wife that Rosaria began to see and to hear the gospel. And it was through that that she became a Christian. Not only did she become a Christian, But she became a pastor's wife and a mother and a homeschooler mom and eventually would write book after book. And yes, this next book is what she wrote. And notice what it says. The gospel comes with a house key. And what she's challenging us with is your house key can bring the gospel home to people. your neighbor, your boss, your friends at work, when we begin to cook for them, when we begin to share coffee with them, when we begin to enjoy an amazing dessert together, maybe that's just just a dessert. When we begin to open our home and show hospitality, it is amazing what God can do. Not only does it bring people to Christ, it also builds a healthy church. When we are caring for one another and enjoying one another and in one another's homes, as we see in the New Testament, that's why we know Luke 14 is not a statement against doing that. It's a, real, it's a revelation of the attitude that we should have in our hospitality, in our redemptive spirit toward others. 
It's that you don't do it in order to receive back. You don't do it in order to impress others. You do it in order to love and bless others. So building a healthy church is part of this. How about this one? Teaching your children genuine Christianity. You say that you're concerned about lost people, but when you have them in your home and your children help vacuum the floor and set the table, and when they help chop the carrots or whatever it is that they're doing to help prepare for these guests, and they begin to see Christian love in action, that you mean it, this is what shows them genuine Christianity and increases the likelihood that they will hear and understand the gospel. In fact, Focus on the Family has this article on their website, show your kids how to be hospitable to your neighbors. As you show this hospitality and show them that the gospel comes with a door key, God will use that. When you're practicing hospitality at your home, don't leave your kids out of the preparations. Let them be a part of the preparations and talk about why you're doing what you're doing. God has given us much. We can buy this food. We can share it with others. We do it on a regular basis. Our home is a place of ministry. That is a very, very powerful tool of discipleship. How about this one? Breaking down barriers. Just as we see that Christ did that, you can do that. You can break. Can you imagine a Democrat inviting a Republican to dinner? Or a Republican inviting a Democrat to dinner? The guy with the bumper sticker that you don't like, and you invite him. And you also have to sit there and harp on all of those things. In fact, you can ignore it. You know, you find other places of life to visit. I think the greatest weapon against racism is your dining room table or the restaurant table. When you get together with people, don't just collect with the people that you relate to easily with, even in the life of the church. Don't stand around. And say, if you see one particular group, go and spend time with somebody else. Invade other groups. That's how it ought to be. There's a bunch of Latinos over here. You ought to be in the middle of them, you gringo. Go get it. I mean, just make them put up with you. I'm serious. Don't, we must push back against what the culture does. The culture is sorting more and more and more. They're sorting. They're sorting. I read a book recommended by Hillary Clinton several years ago called The Big Sorts, written by a liberal. It's a great book. You ought to read it. It describes what's happening right now. That book ended up with the thing of saying, if we keep sorting, we're going to wind up in civil war. And there's truth to that. I'm not a fan of Hillary Clinton. But I am a fan of the realities of our, of our culture and what is here and God's word and how it impacts that. Friends, hospitality pushes back against barriers. You know, there may be a time when we are being persecuted and we can invite our persecutors to the table. Will we run in fear? 
Will we think this is the worst thing that could ever happen? Or will we see like the Apostle Paul and cry out, don't kill yourself, Philippian jailer. We're all still here. You see, hospitality is what God will use. How about this? God will provide for Christian hospitality. When you're wondering how can we afford this, let me just, let me just encourage you to make that a, a statement of faith for you all to start to say before the Lord, we want to open our home, we want to open our hospitality more, and we want to trust God with this. I know that the prices of food have gone up and everything else. You don't have to provide steak and lobster, but you can thoughtfully prepare a meal and know this, that the Lord will bless that. He will provide. Where he guides, he always provides. And he guides us to hospitality. In fact, some of the greatest hospitality I have ever experienced have been from very poor people. There's been many times in other places and even here in town when some who gave so sacrificially was so humbling to me as they generously gave of what they had. Certainly the case in Africa. God will reward Christian hospitality. Mark it down. He will reward it, fill it in. He will reward it in the here and now. And he will reward it in the hereafter. In fact, there's not a lot of places where we see specific things that he promises to repay. But this is one of them. Hospitality, he says, he will repay. Not in this life, but in the life to come. This is amazing. Don't fold your sheet over yet. Look at it. Look at what he says. In Luke 14, 14, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. As you love those who are not like you, as you love those who can't pay you back, as you love those who need the love of God, he will repay you. This is the heart of God for our salvation. Amen? Would you stand together with me?